This is how we overcome We're moving out Keep us up Reaching to the world Arms open Arms open Yeah This is how we practice Great Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And I'm Sarah. So welcome back, friends, to part two of our Christmas special here on Crazy Faith Talk, where we're talking about the secular versus the sacred side of the Christmas holiday and how those two do or do not mix well together with one another. Uh, Last week, we spent some time talking about movies and songs and how um, we the aspects of those things that we like, those aspects that we don't like, um, and how that we're not going to tell you you can't listen or watch any of those things. It's just knowing what the real meaning of Christmas is all about is our focus. So where are we taking things this week? So today I thought we could talk a little bit about Christmas traditions. Because Christmas, <laughs> I think, is one of those holidays that is all about tradition, right? Oh my gosh, like, yes. Often you don't feel like it's Christmas until you've done X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z might be different for every single person, right? Like to me, it doesn't quite feel like Christmas unless there's snow on the ground. It doesn't quite feel like Christmas unless I've sung Go Tell It on the Mountain in a worship service. And it doesn't quite feel like Christmas until I baked cookies and or watched a holiday movie. Um, So those to (laughs) me, those are my traditions that make it feel like Christmas to me but I feel like a lot of our traditions like in general that we might all either participate in or most of us participate in has no real religious significance including the day that we celebrate Christmas (laughs) so this is one of those places that maybe not everybody knows but is increasingly becoming uh well known that the date we celebrate Christmas on is not because we have archaeological evidence that Jesus was actually born in late December. If anything, quite the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, if, I believe that there's evidence that he was probably a springtime baby. Well, if the shepherds were true? out watching their flocks at night, they were doing so because they were lambing. And lambing typically happens, at least in in that area of the world, in that time, in the spring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so how did we end up with a late December time that we celebrate <laughs> the the mass of Christ and mass being like the, you know, uh, name for the big festival worship service, celebrating the birth of Christ. It goes back to Constantine, doesn't it? I mean, like we're going back to a time when the empire was co-opting mm-hmm. um what had been previously pagan festivals and looking to stamp Christianity over top of them. Um, Sometimes because those pagan festivals were already popular. And instead of saying, you can't do that anymore, they trying to sort of sweep them into Christian practice. And sometimes in order to stamp out the old pagan practice. But once we had that sort of Constantinian synthesis of the empire and the pagan Roman culture and Christianity, we're going to start merging these things together it's almost inevitable that you end up with, let's take what was already a Roman festival and this will be when we celebrate this Christian thing. (laughs) So if I'm remembering right, at least one of those pagan festivals is uh, the festival of Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun. And again, that goes back to the solstice. It goes back to 
at late December, you're beginning to see the the days in the Northern Hemisphere beginning to lengthen again. Mm -hmm. And so there's ancient pagan practices that go back to the return of the sun and that kind of thing. Uh, and so, again, you can get it why some person thought, oh, well, we're talking about the beginning of the light. And in the beginning was the word and the light and on the light shines in the darkness. Oh, that's a great way to talk about Jesus. So I don't want to make this out to be like this is some villainous move. I'm sure somebody thought this is a great analogy. We're talking about the increasing light and Jesus is the light of the world who's come into the world. That's a fine time. But basically what happened is they took a pagan festival and stamped Christianity on top of it. Now, it's not really the only thing that we've done, right, to kind of incorporate, no. especially no. pagan traditions, right? Like, I believe my understanding is the things like the evergreen wreaths and the trees that we bring into our homes is also has like pagan roots. Mm -hmm. Or at least there's enough connecting points. Like, there are some who will tell the story that Martin Luther is the originator of the Christmas tree. But why is it that anybody would have suggested cutting down a tree and bringing it indoors? Well, yeah, Northern European cultures going back way, way, way back have that tradition of bringing in the evergreens and preserving life while the winter you know, makes everything cold and dead. So, yeah, it's not a particularly Jesus-y thing, but if those kind of traditions are in the background, you might think, oh, well, this is a fine thing. Sure, somebody might chop down a tree and bring it in their house. Um, and then, yeah, from there, it becomes basically harmless. We're going to decorate it. Isn't that nice? And you can choose to put up faith-themed related decorations like an angel or a star on top or whatever. That's fine. But, yeah, there's nothing in the biblical story that says, and now to commemorate the birth of the Christ child, you should chop down trees and bring them in your house. Yeah, later edition. It's it's interesting, too, and this is maybe one of those ways where, like, Christ, the, these cultural practices are basically harmless, but then they also kind of reflect a certain bias about what true Christianity is supposed to look like. Because um, there are folks who are like, yeah, real Christmas has to have the pine tree. Well, that suggests a certain place in the world, right? I mean, like, mm -hmm. nowhere in, in uh, Jesus' world are they picturing snow-covered pine trees. Um, you know, that's that's Northern European. And if you are assuming, yeah, it can't be Christmas without snow or it can't be Christmas without a pine tree, you're sort of saying, yeah, anybody who lives in a warmer climate, you're not doing it right. Um, when in actuality, there's probably palm trees in the background closer to where Jesus lives, certainly than pine forests. Yeah, I will I will say, having visited my parents around like November, end of November, and they live in Florida, mm -hmm. and that's when like the Christmas inflatables start coming out. Mm -hmm. um, it is such a weird thing for me as somebody who has always grow like lived in the northern part of the u.s mm -hmm. to see an inflatable snowman sitting in between two palm trees yeah like <laughs> it's, a, it's a really weird jarring experience but it's um but that's how it is for lots of parts of the world um there is a uh, one of my children's most beloved show is bluey which is about an Australian um, sheep, not sheepdog, um, blue healer that Ooh. lives in Australia with her family. And they have a cr couple of Christmas episodes. And it, it's in the middle of summer in Australia. Mm -hmm. for Christmas, like December 25th is summer. Um, and so they're doing super traditional summer things, right? Like they're having a barbecue. They're going swimming. Um, because that's what you do in the middle of summer. Um, and that's that's how it is for half of the world. To me, this is one of those things where it's helpful for us to stop and go like, okay, it's fine to celebrate the loveliness of snow if you live in a place where there's snow or Christmas season or things like that. 
But there can become this move when you say that like real Christmas must include snow and pine trees because like now it's not really about Jesus at all. Now I'm just exporting <laughs> my particular preferences based on where I live. Um, and that has a way of becoming kind of colonial. That kind of, you know, like I'm doing it right because I come from this place and we have the power. So we're enforcing mm -hmm. everybody should be about snow and, and pine trees and snowmen. We're like, that has nothing to do with Jesus either. We, I mean, there, and there's that whole other ring of Christmas adjacent things that aren't really in any way about Christmas, but are just wintry. You know, Frosty the Snowman is one of those, not really about Christmas at all, but it's magic and it's winter. So we lump that in with, oh, Christmas, you know, when magic things happen mm -hmm. and there's snow. Um, and how many other stories are in that category? We're not even pretending it really has anything to do with Christmas, but I'm bringing the assumption of at this time of the year, there should be snow and there should be pine trees. That's a whole other way that we, we sometimes like squelch. If your traditions are different, sorry, they're wrong. The right way to be is I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Um, I guess this gets at that same ambivalence we've been talking about throughout this episode and, and our last one that like that it's worth recognizing that where there are traditions that really don't have anything to do with Jesus' birth, that doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong, but it is worth remembering where they come from. So we decide what are the hills to die on and what are not the hills to die on. That Jesus nowhere, in fact, Jesus and early Christianity doesn't anywhere insist that you should properly celebrate his birth a particular way or place mm -hmm. either. And maybe this is a moment to note also, while um, certainly there are ancient roots to celebrating jesus birth it's not a festival like what we call christmas right at the beginning that takes a long time yeah. to emerge and when some kind of celebration began it's closer to more our celebration of the manifestation of jesus revealed at epiphany um but even even that took a while that like christianity starts with death and resurrection is like that's the story we got to keep telling um, and there were probably a lot of early christians who had no knowledge of a manger and shepherds and things like that um, you know, Luke's gospel is the only one that gives us that. And Mark's probably written before that. There are at least, a, you know, maybe a generation or two of Christians who might not have had any awareness at all about a story with a manger in Bethlehem, but knew this is the one in whom God was present and died and rose again. Those are the stories that they start with. And later on, we expand uh, all these other stories about Jesus' birth. We had this ornament when I was a kid. And I don't know if either of you... Uh, grew up with the legend of the christmas spider did you ever hear this story so like i've heard of the had... like christmas pickle is it no, like well, that well i don't i don't I, I don't know the christmas pickle but here's here's the christmas spider so we <laughs> had again like it our ornament as a kid had this little story tagged onto this spider ornament um and it, again it's sort of midrash like the story is like this family doesn't have much money and they're poor and so the spiders uh, start like spinning webs on their tree and then the Christ child comes to their house at night and turns all the spider webs into gold and so their house their Christmas tree is covered in these beautiful golden webs something 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 I'm not really sure what the point was other than the idea of Christ visits this poor family and there's so there's some part of me that's like well there is this sense of like God identifying with those most on the margins and most in need and certainly in Mary's song the idea of God lifting up the the poor and filling them with good things and there's something that's like yeah that's not off the mark but the idea of baby Jesus visiting later generations of families and turning spider webs into gold feels like we kind of lost the the plot there but like that that's a whole other like there are all of these like legend that are are connected with Christmas that might be even hundreds of years old and I'm pretty sure the Christmas spider is one of those that goes back a ways um but like that 
are clearly like just an interesting fairy tale that doesn't really have to do with Jesus proper, or at least not real Jesus, midrash Jesus. Okay, well, that has absolutely pickle. nothing to do with the like, not even close to the Christmas pickle, because at least the Christmas spider has the Christ child. In it. <laughs> Tell me about the Christmas pickle. So the Christmas pickle is a German American Christmas tradition where one of the ornaments is a pickle. Like it's shaped like a pickle, it looks like a pickle. And it is hidden somewhere on the tree, presumably by a parent on Christmas Eve after the kids go to bed. And the first person to find the Christmas pickle gets either an extra present from Santa Claus or is said to have like a year of good fortune. It depends on like yeah. where you had like where the tradition came mm-hmm. from for your family. But mm-hmm. um yeah, it has nothing to do with the Christ child. In fact, it's more of a Santa Claus gotcha. tradition. Gotcha. Well, Santa's another good example, too, of like this way mm-hmm. that someone who is a historical figure, Nicholas, who's the Bishop and Myra of Turkey, who we can verify was at the Council of Nicaea, famously slaps uh, Arius in the face, that kind of thing, and is noted in storytelling for generosity for those who are most on the margins, helping, you know, people who might have been sold into arranged marriages or slavery or helping out families and providing for them as an overseer and church leader was generous. These are all good, wonderful things, but over enough centuries, yeah, has morphed into an agent of consumerism who's here to give, you know, children's wishes and lives at the North Pole. And Steve, as you're describing the Christmas spider, it sounded to me more like St. Nick than it does, you know, like the Christ child showing up because, you know, of his story with the stockings and everything and giving the gold to the poor. And like even stockings, we we talked about how so much of for us our Christmas traditions focus on evergreens and and Christmas falling in winter versus the southern hemisphere where it falls in the summer. And I, I was thinking about like even stockings, you know, they were socks, and not that you don't you can't wear socks all year round, but like when I picture even like socks hanging by the fireplace, I'm picturing like a warmer winter sock, right. Right. That has turned into the now bright red stockings that we hang from our mantle places sure. versus like maybe a, a, a lighter sock that you might wear in the sure. summer. Or how many cultures where like it's not customary to wear additional things on your feet besides just your shoes or sandals or like, again, it's right. Like, it's yeah. Interest, it's interesting how our, part of what we now call traditional Christmas, again, assumes northern climate winter when Jesus mm-hmm. lives in a place where open-toed sandals that's the heart of the foot washing stories only makes sense because they don't have socks um so yeah it's it, it's like worth noting there are these lovely traditions and they are fine and at maybe they're mostly harmless but there there comes to be danger when we end up importing those as this is what real christmas is all about or this is what christmas has always been about and now people are coming along and changing it no it turns out we've been always adding and changing and morphing mm-hmm. that's a humbling thing to to recognize that there's not some preformed thing that fell from the sky on stone tablets. Here's how to properly celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Nobody celebrated Christmas for the first several generations. And since then, it's been an ongoing shifting kind of a thing. That's hard, especially because as you point out, Sarah, like we're so used to picturing Christmas is about observing traditions. Okay, but those traditions came from somewhere and weren't all there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think for me, that's a helpful, if it, if if not also humbling, uh, reminder in a time when sometimes church folk in particular can get kind of fussy about what uh, the the wider news might call the war on Christmas and like, oh, we're not allowed to do this or that kind of thing. And like, 
that makes it sound like there's this one static fixed thing that Christmas has always been, always will be. And like, that's not true. There's been a bunch of ways to celebrate it. Um, and even within Christian culture, even with Christianity, there have been eras that have downplayed, no, don't do, do all these celebrations and made it much more modest mm -hmm. and somber and other times where it's been much more extravagant. And so instead of treating it like there's only one right way to do Christmas and anything other than that is an attack on Christmas, we've adapted. We've always adapted and found different ways to celebrate and at the heart of it, to go back to you know Linus and the Charlie Brown stories, to bring us back to the here's the story of Jesus' entry into our world. Everything else that spins out of that might change, but Jesus is this constant. So we hope this conversation has at least uh, given you permission both to celebrate and also maybe to ask good questions about where our traditions come from. And uh, we hope you'll join us next time when in the season of Epiphany Tide, we'll have a brand new series instead of conversations. So join us then here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you. Bye. Bye.